that first and foremost, if you do just one thing to start off, is to realize that the chatter that you're hearing in your head isn't you. It's all of your programming. We call it the ego. That just wants you to believe that this person is bad and this person doesn't like me and, and my boss doesn't even know what I want. And pause and question that and say, hold on, hold on. Why am I angry right now? What am I experiencing right now? What is truly, what am I believing is happening here right now? And because once you can disassociate yourself from the reaction, you actually have now a choice to say, is that the person I want to be? Is, is that, uh, does that align with who I want to be? That was Honey Burger. I'm your host, Christina. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to another podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. So today we have a wonderful Honey Burger. Uh, Honey is a speaker and the CEO of The Joyville. Uh, it is an online network of professional health coaches who can help you live your healthiest, most joyful and fulfilled life. With 20 years of prior experience in the hospitality industry, she managed large teams, millions of dollars in revenue, and as such, experienced firsthand the effects of stress on her body and mind. And then today, after years of studying from the best in health industry, uh, such as Joe Dispenza, she had com she's combining science-backed data with her own real-world experience. And seeing the life-changing uh, effects certain techniques had on her life, she's also passionate about helping others live the life that they love. Um, I first met Honey uh, about a few years ago now through the Atlanta Wellness Professionals Network, and I just immediately was attracted to her uh, light and to the to the joy that she literally just shines across the room. And uh, so we uh, had her on our podcast that I helped produce at Emory, the Whole Health Cure, and we're further connected. And uh, recently, I was actually looking into getting a health coaching certification. And of course, Honey was the first person I thought about as uh, as a subject matter expert in the field. And she was very helpful with that, leading me through and helping me consider different options. Uh, and, and so I was like, I have to get her on the podcast and get some more of that wisdom. And I'm very, 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 very happy I did. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I think it's full of um, uh, light <laughs> and joy uh, as honey just cannot help it. But I think it's also full of really uh, cool, actionable items. Uh, it's cool of really helpful tools. Uh, they can help you inspect uh, some of your processes and some of your uh, areas of life where perhaps you would like to see improvement. Um, so she uh, shares, uh, Honey shares her framework for finding more joy in life that she's working on and uh, actually thinking about publishing the book. So we're, we're getting the first first-hand, uh, first-try experience here. Uh, so she talks about a three-prong approach to finding more joy. And uh, those prongs are the looking at the things that you ingest, um, working, uh, doing the outer work, and then doing the inner work. And then we talk about the things that we ingest, such as food, be it good or not so good, uh, also toxins, and also information that it leads us towards a brighter uh, path or towards the darkness. Um, we also talk about outer work. So uh, as Honey explains, we uh, there are different uh, tools and strategies that we can apply in order to structure our environment, so the outer environment, in a way that's more conducive on our of our health. 
and wellness. And she talks a lot about stress. Um, I know stress is not a stranger to any of us, uh, especially in year 2020. So I hope you find it helpful. And then finally, we talk about inner work. And uh, she really makes this really cool, beautiful analogy of um, a, a baby in a computer and talks about soft wiring and, 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 and hard wiring and kind of how, where do we get, where do our beliefs come from? And are they serving us? Are they true? And then how can we disconnect uh, and let go of those, those beliefs if uh, they are not serving us and maybe even imposing pain on top of that. Anyways, I think it's a really, really full uh, conversation. I hope that you really find value in this. Please let me know um, if you have any questions, suggestions, what you got out of it. I am really focusing this time around on uh, having some actionable takeaways from each of the episodes I do and I hope that you perhaps consider doing the same thing so my takeaways from this episode is as you will hear somehow I committed to walking to work three times a week so check in with me I'll keep you posted um, so yes, walking to work for me is one. I think it's it's a it's a great time to be outside, to decompress, to let my mind unwind and maybe think more creatively, free of constrictions, but also step away literally and, and figuratively and physically from my desk and just move my body. Um, and then the second one is uh, listening to nature sounds more. I was just really surprised to find out that two hours worth of listening to nature sounds uh, can have significant impact on your stress levels and cortisol production. So this is a cool one, really easy, cheap, uh, or, or free of cost at all. So um, maybe you can check it out too. And uh, let me know what, takes, what takeaways did you uh, get out from this conversation. I'd love to hear from you. If you're listening to it before, during, or right after Thanksgiving, I'm really hoping that you're enjoying plant-based or plant-forward uh, Thanksgiving meal. And I hope that you're staying safe and I hope you're taking time to appreciate yourself, appreciate all the lessons that this year has presented to you, appreciate the relationships that you have in your life and uh, treat people with kindness. I appreciate you all. I appreciate you tuning in and I really wish you the best. And until next time. Welcome to another episode of Follow Your Kind Podcast, and today we have Honey Burger. Hi, Honey. How are you? I am outstanding. I'm so excited to be there with you today, so thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining. I'm so excited to talk to you um, about stress and about finding joy, and especially doing all of that through the current pandemic that we have. I think this will be an amazing, valuable conversation to all of the listeners, so thank you so much for taking the time. Good to be here. Let's dive right into it because we have so much to cover in my mind. So let's go yes. for it. So first question though, um, it sounds like both of us are not from here. So can you give me the story of your accent? Yes. And you know, typically I would ask right now, I was like, do you want to take a guess? Because a lot of people really just feel like they can put their finger on it. I'm, some have thought that I would be a South African, which no, that's not the case. I'm also not from Australia or from England. Um, I spend a lot of time with English. Where I'm from is from the little country, Austria, in the heart of Europe. I love it. And when did you move here? I moved to the States in January of 2000. So can you believe it? It's 20 years at this point, over 20 years. That's just time flies. So I moved to Chicago in 2000 and then to Atlanta in 2004. Wow. So it's your 20th anniversary of being in the States this year. 
I did. Yes, I did celebrate in Denry and I got my citizenship in 2014. So I'm official. I'm paying my taxes and, you know, um, yeah, I'm official. Can't kick me out anymore. <laughs> same here. Same here. I'm here to stay. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Okay. Well, why, why health coaching? You know, it really goes back to my personal story. Um, if you're okay, I dive a little bit into where it all started. I'd uh, love to. So I, um, the reason really why I stayed actually in the States, initially it was intended to be for two years. And then I just fell in love, you know, and sometimes love does this for us. And I moved for uh, my then boyfriend to Atlanta. And we married, and unfortunately, through, you know, circumstances we don't necessarily have to get into right here, but we went through a divorce in 2008, and that divorce, I, and I say this, I'm specifically, I'm choosing the words like this, I put myself in a hole for about two and a half years coming out of that divorce. Um, I, every morning when I woke up, I would be uh, listening to John Mayer's song, when you're dreaming with the broken heart, the waking up is the hardest part. I mean, literally, I would take the proverbial knife and stab it right in my heart first thing in the morning. Um, I lived on a lot of chocolate during that time. Um, I had a lot of stress at work. And I just I literally wallowed in my pain. I, I mean, there was something even comforting in that pain in that wallowing it's it's almost like I didn't really want to get out of it um, I felt I had every right to be in that place which somebody from the outside might say yes but really the damage is only done to myself so on Christmas of 2010 I was actually celebrating by myself at home at a Christmas tree my birthday is just before Christmas I had all these presents for my birthday that I didn't open for my birthday I waited for Christmas and I um I opened up a bottle of wine in the afternoon and I made this beautiful meal for myself. And, you know, I, I, I probably went through that bottle of wine by myself in the course of like four or five hours and slightly tipsy. I started dancing in the living room. I started unpacking my, my, my presents. And I think it was one of the first times where I felt joyful again. And I said to myself in that moment on that Christmas Eve that something had to change. And I decided to, to just make a change. And I think anytime we do make a decision, it's like the first step. If you are listening to this and, and, and you're thinking something isn't right in your life, you have to make the decision first and foremost. Looking back, it was just such an important step. So then fast forward two and a half years, uh, three years into it, I found myself on the other end of the extreme. I became a boot camp instructor. I ran half marathons on a competitive pace. Um, I counted every calorie I put in my mouth, every macronutrient, every fat and protein and fiber. And, and it was all for this um, idea, this, this, this strive for perfection. And clearly that is not a really healthy place to be in either. But if you would have talked to a doctor, you know, I was working out, I was eating super healthy. I mean, I was still super chocolate addicted at the time, but I was eating good healthy food. Somebody would have said from the outside, you know what? No, you're, you're a healthy person. And then in August of 2015, I discovered a lump in my right breast mm -hmm. and it was really just this wake up call. It actually turned out not to be cancerous at that point. And the doctor just said, we really got to watch this. But 
the little voice in my head said, you know, something isn't right here. I am eating healthy. I'm working out. Like, what's the problem here? And then I met a health coach. And um, in the collaboration with that health coach, I decided for that same year, 2015, for Christmas to take off for three, uh, three weeks. I did nothing but sleep and rest. And I did a seven-day vegetable and fruit juice cleanse. By the time this whole period was over, the lump had completely disappeared. It wasn't smaller. It was gone. And so that was just a, a wake-up call in my life. And so I, that was the start of me really trying to dig in as to what does it really mean to live a healthy, joyful life. And I went to um, a school, to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Honestly, I didn't even know it was a school to become a health coach. I just wanted to soak up information on how to live a healthier life. And and three months into it, they started talking about what it takes to become a health coach. I'm like, whoa. Okay, interesting. Um, and so just having had my own experience with a coach and then learning uh, what it would take to become a coach, I found that the power of collaborating with a health coach for you to reach your goals is, in my mind, such an important part of your wellness team to include. And then eventually I thought, okay, you know what? I'm just going to become a health coach. I'm going to have, you know, 20, 30 clients in a year. And then one fall night, I fell asleep with the idea just to, that I wanted to make this a lot bigger. And so today, Joyville is this network of coaches. So I actually don't even do any of the coaching. The coaches on my team are a lot more experienced um, and uh, just a lot of training. And, and I'm just very much trusting them. In, in helping clients to reach their goals. And so that's where I am today. This is amazing. This is, this is such a great story and I appreciate you sharing your personal experience as well. Um, I want to go back for just a second and now with all of your experience and training and I'm sure after some years of um, uh, retrospection, what do you think are the components that helped you make the decision to change your direction on a healthier path and actually pursue that that road, because I hear there's there probably there were probably some low moments. There's probably also some hope. There's probably also just a bite and just a taste of what joy could feel like. But what does it take in order for someone to turn towards life and actually start walking in that direction? What does it take? Honestly, it's like just the first step. And when I look back, um, it kind of came naturally. Uh, you know, what I know today uh, in the work that I've done now, I would say probably for the last seven years, um, is it, it all just kind of fluidly came into my life. And so if somebody um, is, is, is thinking about like, what is my first step to take? Well, we're going to talk about, um, you know, I have a, a number of ideas of things that I have learned over the course of the last seven years. And you can, what I would encourage someone to do is to just listen to what resonates most for you and to just take the first step. What we tend to do is we see a gigantic mountain in front of us that says, I'm currently on the bottom of this mountain and I want to be at the top. And all I can see right now, it looks exhausting. It looks like Every joy that I currently have, i.e., you know, fried foods, alcohol, all of the things that I enjoy doing today is going to be ripped away from me 
So where is still the joy in my life? And, um, you know, and I think the important part is first, it, nothing is ripped away from you. You know, I, I, the important part is that you, whenever you take a first step, you don't rip everything that you know today out of your life. You just take the first step towards the goal that you want to achieve. And so I think the important part is to really understand what is the top of the mountain. What does that look like for you? What is the vision that you're going after? It is so hard to pursue anything if you don't have a clear vision of what the end goal represents. So I'll give you an example. When um, often clients come to us, and their first um, motivation for coming, when I ask them, like, you know, what is your motivation? They say, well, I think I need to eat better and I need to work out more. And quite frankly, in most cases, that is the truth. But it's super uninspiring. Like, if you come with the idea that I need to lose 20 pounds, whew, you know, I mean, that's just... It, Where's the joy in that? But if I ask you now, you know, like, okay, let's just ask you what happens when you lose those 20 pounds? Or what happens when you um, have more balance in your life? Like a lot of our clients actually, uh, it's much more about stress management, much more about balancing their office life, their family life. So what happens if you reach that goal? And so let's just stick with the, the, the pounds, for example. Well, like somebody would say, well, you know what? Um, I just would feel better. I'm like, all right, we got to get a little bit more specific here. And they say, well, okay, you know what? What would be really awesome is I could fit into my clothes again that I've put into the back of the closet. And I would ask you, well, what, what's the difference there? So what? You can fit into the jeans again. And I said, you know what? I would feel a lot, I don't know, sexier, conf confident, Fantastic. Well, let me ask you then, what happens when you feel more confident and more sexy? Well, you show up differently in the world. Okay, that's not deep enough. Like, how? what means different, really? Well, I would speak up at my job more. I would um, approach people in, in uh, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily in the bar, but like wherever that is, where you just want to connect with, with friends, or I would finally feel good about undressing in front of my husband again, you know, whatever that is for you. And so you, you keep digging, you keep asking, like, what will change if you get to that point? So if you speak up at work, what will change? Well, you know what, my boss will take me more seriously. And so now all of a sudden, you've gone from, I want to lose 20 pounds, super daunting goal to my husband and I, our intimacy would be much stronger or my boss will respect me. Well, well, now you have something, you all of a sudden get goosebumps and you get excited about it. And so having that vision will be your motivator that you want to plaster around your house because every time things get tough, you just need to look at that vision and remind yourself, why are you doing all of this? Oh my God, I love it. Yeah, as, as we chatted before, you have such a powerful way to really give someone not just the, the theory and the words but also the, the feeling behind what it is that you're explaining what it is you're talking about so yes this is starting with why and asking the the what is the that you ask the same question four times in order to really get to the depth of it so that also reminds me of that framework too um honey i know that you shared that you are approaching on potential a new project and you have this framework of three ways of finding joy or for cultivating joy in your life. Um, let's, let's dive in, in there. 
yeah, I'm really thinking about, you know, this is COVID season, everybody's writing a book. I'm like, well, maybe <laughs> I should write a book too. Um, and so because it, I've, over the last years, I have accumulated so much um, experience. I've learned from so many amazing teachers um, and really applied everything that I learned and some things stick for me and some things resonate and some things don't. Um, so I feel like I've been this great guinea pig for all these different tools. And so the way I would categorize the three big chapters about how to reduce stress in your life and how to experience more joy in your life, it would be these things, three things. The first one is all about what you ingest in your body. And so, yes, you would say, well, why can't you just say the foods that you eat? Well, it's much beyond the foods and we can dive into that. It's, it's the foods, it's the liquids, it's, it's the toxicity uh, that comes in so many other ways into your body. So that's category number one. The second category is, is this, I call it the outer work. Like all of the tools, there's so many wonderful tools that exist for, for you to manage your stress, for you to feel calmer, for you to feel more joyful. And then the third category is what I would consider the inner work. Um, and that is all about realizing that the things that you react to in life, no matter if you get angry, if you get sad about something, frustrated, whatever the case may be, is because you're reacting to a subconscious pro programming that you are so not aware of. And so I'm going to pause here because literally we could talk about each of those at length. So uh, let me know where you would like to dive in. I love that. I, I actually would love to get at least a little bit in each of those because I think, I mean, it's, it's such a helpful, uh, helpful framework and I'm very interested in number three. So we're going to make sure we get through that one as well. But yes, let's start with food and the things that you ingest. Yeah. So um, the first one I'm going to bring up and like foods, for example, that so impact your, um, your mood, the foods to avoid the one that nobody wants to hear is sugar. I mean, sugar messes with your brain chemistry uh, so much. It impacts your vitamin D, uh, B, sorry, your vitamin D, Bs, which are directly uh, correlated with your mood. Um, it, if you know, I mean, like whenever we have um, simple sugars, simple carbohydrates, so if it's now the breads or the fried food, whatever it is, you have a... Um, uh, an insulin jump that gives you an initial energy boost, but then you have right after this, the slump that we experience so often. Mm -hmm. And so sugar is probably one of the first things that you want to start eliminating out of your life. Heart, yes. So if sugar is your thing, it might not be the first. You know, I was actually even thinking about this for us when we work with clients and you would work with the clients, let's just say I'm the client, and I come with a history of chocolate addiction. I mean, like chocolate is my go-to thing. So in, if I would be the client, we would not start with chocolate because it's like the biggest mammoth mountain to, to tackle. And so um, 
but just to be aware that you want to start reducing sugars out of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, foods to add, for example, is our, your omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, so we're talking about your, your salmon and your walnuts and sardines because they really help um, absorb the, co- the cortisol in your bloodstream. So they reduce what is causing for you to feel that stress in your body. You could add a lot of foods that have antioxidants and vitamin C's because again, those to just support your adrenals, which are responsible for managing the output of your cortisol in the body. So foods is a whole category. Um, again, is, that probably in itself could be an hour conversation. So I know you mentioned that you uh, were able to um overcome your own chocolate addiction. What are some of the tips or how, what are some of the things that helped you to be able to do that? So the important piece to know is that I'm happy to share mine, um, but I've realized that through health coaching that everybody is different. And so what worked really well for me are, I started to eat more um, complex carbohydrates. Like I, when I was in this phase of, I got to be perfect. Um, I had absolutely no carbs in my life because there was this, uh, the media was so strong about, you know, all carbs are bad for you. And so I literally had no carbs in my life, but I have learned through just experimenting that my body thrives on complex carbohydrates. So I'm talking about a brown rice, the quinoa, uh, buckwheat. Um, I have most mornings, I have an oatmeal and it really gives me a lot of strength. And I realized that uh, when I started eating actually more of the uh, complex carbohydrates, which means that it's a much slower release of the sugar within your body. It gives me a much longer um, energy. It, it sustains my energy a lot longer. Um, and then the other thing that I started just around that same time was meditation. And the funny thing is like, I literally sat down, I was in my bedroom. I remember the first time I meditated, I had a candle in front of me. I had this vision, you know, from the internet and how this meant to look like. I was sitting cross-legged, my feet, my legs were falling asleep. I hated every minute of it. My brain was going a hundred miles an hour. And I did that because I was so determined to just meditate. I did that for probably about a couple of weeks. And between that and the carbs, I felt like somebody poured a gigantic bucket of water on this raging fire inside of me. And my chocolate um, addiction just completely mellowed out. I mean, it was, it, it was a matter of weeks. It wasn't, it, it wasn't something that took forever. Um, even when people think, you know, I can't meditate. That's, you hear this often, I can't meditate, my brain is going nuts. You know what? Everybody's brain is going nuts. And like, it's like going to the gym, you know, can you do 50 push-ups on the first time you walk in? Probably not, but you practice and you, you, you learn. And, and now it's been three years that I've been meditating. And now I get, you know, really excited when I have these moments when there are minutes of complete silence and then a thought pops back in. I'm like, all right, it's okay go away again. But it was, it was just practice, you know, so you got to start somewhere. Absolutely. What are some of your favorite meditation techniques or the ways to meditate? You know, for me personally, I've found that um, I've never really gotten too much into guided meditation, although I hear a lot of people love it, especially at the start. 
um, I, um, I personally got into transcendental meditation. So TM is the a short version of transcendental meditation. You, you go to a group where you get a specific mantra uh, that you use to repeat. It's just a way to really get you away from the thoughts, the mm -hmm. spinning of your mind, but it also allows you to get really deep. And, and, and so I did that for just about two years. And now um, I sat down to meditate before we started our conversation, because I know I just get a little bit, you know, just calm in, in, in my conversation even. And when I sit down right now, what I do most days now is literally just focusing on my breathing and focusing on the silence. Mm -hmm. There's so much beauty in just listening to silence we're bombarded all day long from something else so yeah that's what I do most days today I love that yeah I agree with you I think sometimes the the best ways to practice for me are sometimes the simple the most the simplest ways because sometimes those are the most refreshing and I agree with you actually Dr. Berkus was the one who mentioned the silence meditation to me uh, it's the one that she does a lot too just kind of listening to the silence and I think there's so much beauty and so much mystery and it's like, I think a lot of times people think of meditation as being something that's very passive, but to me, listening to the silence sounds very active. And mm -hmm. yet at the same time, there's nothing to distract yourself with because it's silent. So it's, it's really cool. I love that one too. So true. So true. I mean, if you, if you're just starting out, I mean, sometimes you're listening to the air conditioning or I would sometimes watch my body to see where a muscle twitches you know and, uh, and sometimes when I have uh, presentations that I give in front of groups I ask them to focus on their eyebrows or their fingernails like things that you barely actually can't can feel you know like it's just like really am I feeling this I don't even know what my little pinky toenails feels like right now you know uh, <laughs> but it just it just gets you away from just thinking of anything else so yeah and then I would love to just the other part when we talk about ingesting. So there's the food side, but then there's also this entire side that I think a lot of people are not aware of, which is the toxicity that we um, absorb either through our skin or through our um, uh, scent. So, I mean, house cleaning products is an obvious one. But what I think what most people don't realize is scented candles or your um, the plug-in air freshener your laundry detergent, your shampoo, your conditioner, your body wash, your makeup, all of it has chemicals in it. What about perfumes? Oh, full of chemicals. That'll scare me sometimes. Yeah, definitely. And so I have um, essential oils that I use as, as a perfume alternative. And will a single product, um, you know, create your anxiety? No, but it, it just starts compounding. You know, if you eat the fried foods and lots of sugar and you all have all of this toxic um, toxicity in your life, it not just messes with your brain, but it really starts increasing the inflammation in your body. And without knowing, you all of a sudden on the path to some of these countries, most deadly diseases, diabetes, Alzheimer's, uh, and even cancer. I mean, it's all a matter of inflammation. Um, but yes, they mess with your brain. They mess with your, your neurotransmitters. They, they, the, 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 the stimulation in your brain, those connection points in your brain uh, that these toxins can either stop or divert. And all of a sudden you are, um, you're just depressed and sad. Mm -hmm. The other things that chemicals do is just really uh, impact your thyroids. 
And so, you know, thyroid kind of important um, party that's sitting right in your in your throat, um, you know, for your metabolism and your temperature control and all sorts of things. But if you have too many thyroid hormones, that leads to anxiety and, and, and anxiousness and nervousness. But if you have too little, you fatigue and you're sad and depressed. I mean, like all of these chemicals just impact every piece in your body. Um, so there's a lot you can do there. What about information? Do you put that in the bucket of something that we ingest and that's something that can be toxic, like information overload, social media, all of that? Are you just talking about physical things? So um, it is toxic to definitely information and because what happens is um, when you, it's either news, for example, let's just say you're watching news and you get so irritated with plenty of news to irritate us, you know, um, but it also could be as simple to watch a movie. So for example, I cannot watch a thriller. I can't even watch um, a good drama, which I wish I could, because when I watch my body, I find that my heart rate starts picking up. Um, and my brain is like, my body has a really hard time to distinguish between a movie mm. and it, you know, it being reality versus just actors playing out. I am in it. Um, and so your body actually doesn't know the difference between you being anxious because you personally have an experience that is threatening to your life or you are um, just having a thought, just the thought alone of something that irritates you. The implications within your body are the same your hormones are going well i'll give you a good example so let's just say you're madly in love right so when you're in love you have oxytocin going through your body you feel all smitten and happy and but when you are stressed anger sadness whatever you know fear whatever that is your body spits out a very different uh hormone cocktail um adrenaline and cortisol and so just by your thoughts alone, you now are creating an environment through the cortisol and the adrenaline in your body that restricts blood flow to certain organs, mm -hmm. that uh, increases inflammation in your body. And you haven't even gone anywhere. You're sitting on the couch and you're yelling at the TV screen or you're just not even yelling TVs off, but you're still remembering something that irritates you. So yeah, there is absolutely, your thoughts can be very toxic. Hmm. That's so interesting. Okay. All right. Shall we move on to the, to the yes. framework, num subject number two, the outer work? Yeah. So when I think of outer work, it's all the tools that you can apply in your life to, to just, like, as I said before, like put water on the fire or to um, just change your mindset. So for example, the quickest one, by the way, if you're stressed, and I would encourage anyone right now listening to this, if you're stressed, is breathing. If you don't change a thing about your breath right now, just watch your breathing for a second. So most people really just use their upper chest when they breathe, which is minimal about what your lung capacity is. But if you, let's just say, let's do this together. Inhale for a count of four. So let's inhale, one, two, three, four, and you hold it, one, two, three, four, you exhale for a count of four, 
two, three, four, and you hold it again for a count of four, two, three, four. And if you listen, just keep doing this for a couple more times, like three or four times, and you will realize, oh, I'm doing better. Because what happens is actually when you deeply inhale, you use your belly, typically like in yoga, they even say, you know, start with the belly, inhale into your chest, and then inhale into your head. It's almost like this wave that you create when you breathe. And there is a trigger point right underneath your diaphragm that actually tricks your body back into a rest and digest place. Hmm. So you're in a meeting that is driving you nuts. You're having an argument with your husband that's making you mad. I mean, nobody knows that you're breathing any differently just to find calm. So that's one of them. The other one, there's so much being talked about right now about gratitude practice, and rightfully so. Gratitude practice is one of the most powerful tools that you can do. And here's why. So every time you have a thought in your brain, it's using certain brain wiring, certain brain connections for that thought to connect within your brain. The best analogy that I always actually like to bring is, let's just say it pours heavy rain. When you look out in the garden and it pours rain, the rain tends to find the same grooves in your garden to run off, right? I mean, like mm -hmm. for you to divert that rain, you literally have to grab a shovel and you can start digging a trench for it to go somewhere else. Well, your negative thoughts is like the rain that uses the same runoff every time, meaning in your brain, that same thought, the more you think that same thought, that brain wiring gets thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker. And it's so easy for your brain to use that negative thinking. So now you're like, you know what? I want to become a happier person. I want to become positive. And it's super easy actually for the brain to do that tr new trench, you know, that you just shoveled with, uh, that you just created with your shovel and to create that new wiring. But if you don't use it within 24 hours again, that brain connection disappears. 24 you, hours? 24 hours. You got to so, and it, it's so easy, like um, Dr. Joe Dispenza has this awesome um, film uh, um, where he shows that literally a new thought, you can see that the wiring coming together. And as soon as it touches, you have a new connection. It's awesome. You have a new, um, that you can build with just positive thinking. Um, but initially it feels like exhausting because again, your brain is so used to just using that thick brain wiring and not going down that new. So when you feel like it's exhausting at the start, it's because it is. You literally have to create a practice that is a reoccurring practice for you to thicken the new wiring and for the old one, the negative thinking, to start getting small and thinner and thinner and thinner for it to almost disappear in a way. So that's one thing. And actually, Dr. Joe Dispenza has done some great work where he, would, for four days, had people with an intense gratitude practice and besides not just becoming super positive people they also measured in people's bodies their immunoglobulin a it's called iga which is super important to fight off bacteria and viruses in your body and after four days of them doing this intense gratitude practice they have found that that iga count went up by 50 percent so you just become a whole lot more immune 
in a time of COVID, by the way, little important, right? So a whole lot more immune just because you have a daily practice. And I would encourage you to do this either in the morning or in the evening. For me, it's part of my, my evening routine. You know, like I have this evening routine of prayer, of gratitude practice. And now here's the key though. When you practice gratitude, you know, it's so easy to say, okay, um, I'm grateful for my meal. I'm grateful for the roof over my head. I'm grateful for my bed. And so you can get in the mode of rattling things off. But you remember how we talked before about um, your thoughts impact the hormones in your body. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a stressful thought that you activate adrenaline and cortisol, well, the same way when you do gratitude practice, you gotta feel this. You gotta get into the emotion of it. That's really where the magic happens. So, and when you have a hard time, to think of something that you're grateful for. The suggestion that I have for you is think of something, let's just say, what would happen if you don't have it? Example, what would happen if you had a toothache today or an earache today? I mean, like how much would you be begging for that earache to go away and for that toothache to go away? So how about if you don't have it to say, thank you so much for my ears to be so healthy today, for my teeth to be so strong today. I mean, you can literally come up with a list for everything in life to be grateful for, which we should be because, I mean, all of it is, 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 is not something that kind of magically appears, you know, like everybody had to invent something for us to have a roof over our house. Somebody had to build it for us to have food on our plate. We had to have farmers to grow the food, somebody to transport it. I mean, like you can have an entire week of gratitude just for the food and where it came from. So gratitude practice is a big one. You just blew my mind. This is amazing. This is so, I mean, it makes so much sense. It's like you're putting all these puzzle pieces in one puzzle for me. Because I've heard about, you know, neurons that wire together, fire together, wire together. I heard about the gratitude practice. I heard about kind of when you're making goals or making um visualizing something uh, or praying even for something I heard that it's very important to feel the emotional connection and kind of do it with passion and feel the emotion around it so but like all of it coming together with like a 24-hour loop on top of that this is so cool Mm. yeah it's I mean gratitude is a powerful powerful practice and if you if we have time I would add one more to the mix do it okay I keep this brief so nature I mean, we all know when you go outside, it's just heavenly. You come back and I would say when you go outside without a phone, without making phone calls while you walk, this is not your, I'm trying to burn calories walk. This is a, I'm walking in nature and I'm deeply inhaling and enjoying nature. So now you're like, all right, honey, sorry, don't have time for that. How about this? Research shows that if you were to listen two day, uh, two hours, two hours a day to nature sounds. So what I'm saying is sit at work, open up YouTube and type in rivers flowing, birds <laughs> chirping. Okay. And so you get eight hours worth of rivers flowing that if you do that two hours a day while working, you reduce your stress hormones by up to 800% and activate 500 plus DNA segments in your body that are responsible for healing. And you haven't even stepped your foot outside. 
Oh my God. This is blowing my... Okay, so we're in a podcast. I'm making a commitment that, first of all, I'm going to start listening to nature sounds at least for two hours while at work. But I've been playing. I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about walking to work at least, let's say, three times a week. So I'm making a commitment that I'm going to start walking to work three times a week, which is half an hour one way, half an hour the other way. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Beautiful. So listeners, I would encourage you to leave a comment on this podcast, challenging <laughs> Tina and asking her how her, because that, so, and we can, you know, quickly jump ahead, like, because my question for you is like, how are you going to remember? If you're listening right now and any of these things resonate with you, how are you going to remember? You know, for me, I have reminders on my phone. Like you can set alarms. You can change the name of your alarm on your phone to what it is. I have alarms for drinking more water. You can have on your calendar, like I have every morning at eight o'clock, a reminder to nature sounds because otherwise it would get, I have parts of my house. There are sticky notes on my nightstand of what to do. I walk through a door that says smile. Um, and so you need reminders. You're trying to create a new habit in your life. It's just not going to come magically out of nowhere. So you, especially the first few weeks, you just got to have reminders. Just made a list of the sticky note and put it on the, my computer right now. Oh, I love it. Here I it love is. it. Okay, so what's, let's talk about the third one, the inner work. So the inner work, um, this is the juicy stuff, really. Uh, where to start? The inner work, when I talk about the inner work, this is uh, really about dealing with your subconscious programming. So when I say subconscious, it's things that you are not even aware of. And so... A really uh, important piece to understand is that research is showing us that our minds are programmed in the first six to seven years of our lives. So you watch your parents, you watch a teacher, a trainer, and people that have authority in your life in those first very formative years, and you learn what it's worth arguing about, getting sad about, getting mad about. I mean, you trip and fall, you watch your mom get all upset about it. You, well, you know, well, this is something I should get mad and you know, upset about in the future. Actually, allow me. I'm going to compare a newborn baby to a computer for a minute. This yes. is a beautiful analogy. I, actually, I, I got to give credit. It's Bruce Lipton, Dr. Bruce Lipton. I, I heard this analogy from him. And so it so resonates with me because what happens is if as a newborn baby, you have all the hard wiring. You have a heart, you got a brain, you got the bones, everything is going for you. But if you compare it to computer, you have no programming. You have no values. I mean, you're a blank slate. And actually it starts in the third trimester of your pregnancy that you start passing on your values, your emotions, your, your, your beliefs onto the your baby with before you were even born. And so now the craziest thing of all is that research is telling us that in our adult life, we react based on those subconscious programs 95% of the time. I mean, we are running on autopilot. Maybe just maybe put this more into picture of what I'm talking about here. You get cut off in traffic and you think that person is making you mad. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. 
it's your subconscious programming because ultimately what you would be saying is that the external world your work your to-do list the people in your life your spouse whoever it is are responsible for your emotions you are really pretty much saying that they are in charge they're in control of your thoughts which is not the case it's not the reason why you are reacting is because deep down your your need for safety for security is being rattled if somebody cuts you off in traffic what's really happening is not that you're mad at this person but what it is that your subconscious heard is the person in front of you saying to you back here you back here you're not important to me i don't care about your needs i am more important than you are and as soon as you your subconscious hears that your you start questioning your ability to be loved and worthy in your life. Everything, everything boils down for our need to feel loved and worthy. Because if you think about that, if you have a child, you know, and you ran to mom and you just showed her another painting, this is your 15th painting. And if you're a parent, by the way, totally understandable. You're like, yeah, that's still nice. Okay, let me keep cooking <laughs> or let me keep my work. Like there's only so much I can say, this is adorable. But for a child, they look at you and they create their own, um, their own story in their mind to say, oh, wow, mom just doesn't love me right now. I got to do something. I got to be someone to, to be loved. And so now you find yourself all of a sudden going through school and you sit in class and all of a sudden you get stars for doing something good. And when you when a question is asked by your teacher and you didn't have the right answer, no, Bobby, that's not it. Sit back down. And Chris had the right answer. Wonderful, Chris. And you know, like you start realizing you gotta do things for you to experience that love. And when you're a child, that love is your survival. I mean, like your parents are your survival. If your parents don't love you, I mean, your survival is threatened. And so, I mean, like, you know, deeply going to that, what does that really mean for you today mm-hmm. is that first and foremost, if you do just one thing to start off, is to realize that the chatter that you are hearing in your head isn't you. It's all of your programming. We call it the ego that just wants you to believe that this person is bad and this person doesn't like me and and my boss doesn't even know what I want. And I really want for you to pause and question that and say, hold on, hold on. Why am I angry right now? What am I experiencing right now? What is truly, what am I believing is happening here right now? And because once you can disassociate yourself from the reaction to reading and, and, and truly becoming conscious, aware of your thoughts, you actually have now a choice to say, is that the person I want to be? Is, is that, uh, does that align with who I want to be? You know, I just uh, recently had a, a presentation to the Atlanta Hawks and we talked a lot about racial injustice. And in that conversation, I think what's so important is number one, and by no means making excuses, but if, if, if somebody grows up in an environment 
where the entire programming is that this type of person is a good person and this type of person, you know, um, is lazy, is whatever it is, then you grow up with a belief. So now as an adult, and I, I give you a, a good example that even for me in Austria, um, we have countries around us where certain countries are our housekeepers. And so I grew up with a certain belief that certain countries are, you know, those are the workers. And it, it was just recently that I realized that my brain still had that programming, still had that belief. So now I, I've realized that I have a thought. I have a choice now to say, do I want that to be? Do, do I really want to have that belief? And the answer is absolutely no. Hi, I'm like, I am the epitome. I want to be joyful to everyone and all inclusive. So for my brain to have these thoughts, it's not acceptable for me, which then leads us into how can you um, override these beliefs? And there is a number of ways to do it. I'm going to take a pause here because I'm not really sure. Am I, am I expressing this clearly or I don't know? Yes, no, absolutely. I love that. Um, it makes me think like, a few other things that I picked up through this conversation with you today is um, you're also very careful about the language that you use to, to express like kind of who's to blame in a situation or what is your part and how powerful you are, you're not over certain things. And I like some of the things that I uh, picked up were at the beginning when you were talking about your divorce, you said very clearly that the things, the hole that you put yourself in, or when you were talking about, you know, the, your work with health coach, uh, how you have collaborated with health coach. So it's not like he just gave you something, he just installed something. No, like it was a collaboration with the teamwork. So I, I, it sounds to me like this is where you're going, kind of like, so what is the next step? What are, what are the tools that you can use to reprogram yourself? But I would imagine that language has the role to do, uh, has a role to play there. Um, just want to know your thoughts about it. It, it really does, because um, it is so easy for all of us to point fingers. And... I'm sure a lot of smarter people have said this before, but before you point any figure anywhere else, you really start need to start pointing at your own mind and what is spitting out out of your own mind. Before you judge anybody else, mm -hmm. um, you need to start questioning um, the language uh, and the thoughts that you use and that your, your subconscious has produced for, I don't know, depending how old you are. You know, like for me, it's 42 years at this point. Um, and so again, I, I'm, I, I don't in any case would ever want to uh, justify somebody's uh, reaction and, and, and how they show up towards other people. Um, but what I think what is helping me is when somebody makes me really mad is I realize that it's not just me that has a subconscious from an inner six-year-old that is still acting up today, but it's also the other person. So if we, you know, if we look at politics today, if we look at just the different cultures that we all live in, um, it's so easy to say, I can't believe, how can you have a Republican point of view or how can you have a democratic point of view? And um, because each of us have grown up in an environment that have molded these thoughts 
And so you have a choice to say, I am stuck in my way. This is the way I'm going to roll. Or I can say, I want to question if my view is really right. And the only way to do that is to open yourself up to a different point of view mm -hmm. from other people. And without jumping in, it's, it's, it's really, you want to listen to what somebody else is saying without jumping in just to say, you know what, I can identify with, with that point of view, but I really can't identify with that. And so, you, but you, the point is to become aware, to be really conscious about um, the choices that you make with your words, the choices that you make with your decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. Oh, okay, so let's maybe talk a little bit about the, the tools. So what if one were to listen to this conversation today and was like, okay, well, what are some of the, what are some of the, where can I start? What are some of the things that I can do to start cultivating more, more joy in my life? Yeah, I think, um to talk about belief work in itself, I think you, if you are looking for the first step, the first step, and I would really encourage you to practice is just to be, always become aware of your thoughts and say, mm -hmm. is this me, is this not me? Um, when it comes to actually reprogramming your mind, and I literally use that term on purpose because it, you can say, to say, and I've been doing this for the last two plus years at this point, where I react to a situation and I'm asking myself, all right, why am I reacting right now? Um, okay, hold on, I have a belief and maybe I should, um, I'm just trying to think of a good example. I used to get really mad when somebody emailed me on the weekend because I'm like, who are you that it's my time, you know, boss was trying to get some project, didn't even ask for me to get that project answered on the weekend. It was just an email that ended up in my inbox. And so I realized that I had a belief that if I didn't respond, number one, I had a lot of emails on Monday morning in my inbox. Number two, my other belief was that um, the boss might think that I am not leadership material. And so that really was a big trigger. So I went into my conversation with the ego and I would say, ego, do I have a belief or a narrative that says that in order for me to be lovable and worthy, um, I need to be leadership material. I need to be viewed as a leader. And you do get an answer back. And this answer is most often a yes. And so then you ask, okay, can you disconnect from that narrative? And you get typically two answers, yes or no. I'll stick with the yes for right now. And then you just say, okay, please go ahead and disconnect from that narrative hmm. and do it now. And literally this whole process can take 15 seconds. And you look at the same situation again, you're like, it doesn't bother me anymore. If it still bothers you, it's because often situations have multiple beliefs attached to it. So like, for example, this now with um, the email, that the boss thinks that you're not leadership material is just one. The second one is that I have way too many emails in my inbox on Monday and I don't want to deal with that. And if I don't respond, what are the implications of that? Mm -hmm. um, it could be that, you know, not responding to a coworker, they think that I don't care about them. Like, here we go. Now we have three beliefs just because of one email sent to you. So you got to deal with different beliefs um, one at a time. And so obviously we can go into deeper things now, but what happens if you get a no? Uh, very often it just means that you don't necessarily have the nugget of what the belief, the true belief really is all about. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, we once had a client that we do this belief work with and uh, she said, she, you know, 
in order for her to be lovable and worthy, she needed to be admired. And I mean, like, you know, what kid doesn't want to be admired, right? You're in, in, in a six-year-old programming. Um, she wanted to be admired. And so when she asked, Ego, are you there? Yes. Ego, do I have a narrative that says, in order for me to be lovable and worthy, I need to be admired? Yes. Ego, can you disconnect from the narrative? She got a no. And so, um, I, you know, we talked this through and like really ask her intuition about why, what, what could be the nugget that's missing. And what immediately popped into her mind was that the question, why do you think that admiration is even a sign of love? And we're like, all right, let's, let's try that. Ego, are you there? Ego, do I have a narrative that um, admiration is a sign of love? Yes, you do. Ego, can you disconnect from that narrative? Yes, I can. Please go ahead and do that now. And it solves the whole thing. Wow. It's and almost like a precise science, like, like re literally reprogramming. It's like writing code. <laughs> it, it is. And, you know, it's so fascinating because initially when I started belief work um, under a coach with the Lefko Institute out of California about two years ago, they used a different approach, which was very effective as well. It just took longer. And then um, I was at a retreat where I had the chance to be in a very small circle with Shaman Doric, you may have seen him on uh, the doctors. And so he actually was sharing that, um, that process. And I was so fascinated. I literally, uh, that evening at the retreat still, uh, full moon was there. I was going out into the woods, full moon. And I started doing this and I'm like, my God, God, this, this really is working. I mean, this is working. And so for the last now year and a half, I have been chipping away at all of these different beliefs. And with every one that you work on, your life just becomes a little bit calmer, a little bit more peaceful and a little bit more joyful. And today, honestly, things don't rattle me anymore. They this really is so cool. This is so cool. Okay, can we repeat the questions for the listeners? Yes. So the first question is, so first of all, you got to close your eyes, get into a comfortable place. You don't want to be interrupted by anyone, kids or anything. So you really want to be in a quiet place. Um, you take a deep breath, you exhale out. And then you, in your mind, ask the question, ego, are you there? And then with the responses, ego, do I have a narrative that says, um, and that would work too, but the really deep stuff is typically when it comes to our lovability and worthiness, but you mm -hmm. can change your beliefs about how things work in the world mm -hmm. too. Okay, so, so ego, are you there? Ego, do I have a narrative? Yep. Ego, can you disconnect from that narrative? Mm -hmm. When you get a yes, you say, can you do that now? Mm -hmm. Please go ahead and do that now. Five. That's so cool. And you can even, and if, so we unfortunately don't necessarily have all the time if you get knows what the, the implications are some there are a few things that are really deeply rooted old stuff um that um where your ego literally says no and what i've learned for myself is that i, I literally have a conversation in that point it's almost like talking to a little child i'm like all right let's talk this through you say that in order for me to um, uh, you know, to be valued, I, I need to have uh, riches and fame, you know, and, and yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta have a solid income. You gotta have a big house, whatever the case may be. And I sit there, I'm like, okay, so the only, why, why would I believe that is because some other person may have insinuated that without 
you having riches and fame that you are nobody. So let me, then I have this conversation and say, okay, let me clarify. Is the other person really right? Or is the other person just behaving based on their own subconscious programming? Mm-hmm. Because if they would have a very different program, you can talk to five people and like the person, one person in India running a rickshaw is the happiest person on the planet because he never heard about the riches and fame. He's just having happy, happy that he has a son and a family and food on his table. And so it depends on who you talk to. So now you're telling me my subconscious belief, you're telling me that uh, I'm only lovable and worthy based on what somebody else said. So I'm literally having a conversation with myself. And then at some point I say, can you see that my assumptions aren't correct. The assumptions that we are having here, you and me, like the energy within me and me are not really, um, we're not correct. And then at some point I get, yeah, I guess you're right. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to release you then. I'm literally, I say, I'm going to send you into the light. For me, it's everything. Like I'm going to send you into the good, wonderful light. I also have a, um, a strong faith. So for me, it's like, I'll literally send you into God's hand and I'll let you go. And it, it leaves me. It literally leaves me. Um, and and I go back to ask my ego, hey, ego, do I still have this narrative? And it's gone. It is gone. This is so cool. I love that. I love that exercise. Wow. I feel like we're walking away with so many cool tools and so many cool notions. This, this has been an amazing conversation. I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're running up in an hour. Um, but before there's a final question that I usually ask, but before we go to that, are there any other things that you want to share and some points that you wanted to touch that we haven't talked about? Um, I know it's a lot. The one thing I probably would point out is that I have a lot of um, videos on our YouTube page, on the Joyville okay. Health Coaches YouTube page. Uh, and I am purpose make them two to three minutes long. So it's not like you got to sit there for 15 minutes and dive through. Every single one of them has a title that you were like, yep, that resonates with me. I want to learn more about that one. So just to digest it in that way. Um, so I'll I think sure that's, include the link. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that would be great. So awesome. Okay. Um, well, the, the question I usually end with is uh, around kindness. And uh, the name of the podcast is follow your kind and it is my, um, it was my purpose when I started this work is to explore the, what kindness means for other people, because I believe that our values are defined by us and it's not my business to tell others what to do, but perhaps by following my values, I could inspire others to do this as, as well and kind of to do the same thing. And I, I get inspired a lot by the people in my life and bright and shiny individuals who are following their purpose and living with joy as you are. And that's why I always love to explore what their value of kindness is. So me and our listeners can explore and find their kind and follow their kind. So is it about my definition of kindness? Yes. What does kindness mean to you? So for me, kindness is a recognition that everybody wants to be heard and loved and valued. And that means for me, when I want to show kindness, which I am striving for at all times, means that I need to actually do more listening, more asking questions, and more focusing and paying attention when I'm in a conversation Mm -hmm. Um, so that you can be heard, I can make you feel heard and seen, which is really 
quite frankly, what we all want. We just want to be heard and seen for who we are, the way we show up. And so I think the more I can, I can do that in my life, um, the more we all would be just a lot happier and joyful. Mm, I love that. That resonated with me so much. Honey, thank you so much for all your time. I feel like we can speak for another five hours and still not be done. So I really, really appreciate all of your wisdom that you shared, all of the kind of facts, but also all of the very actionable tools uh, and strategies that you shared. Thank you so much. Um, I'm sure it's not going to be the last time we talk, but I wish you luck. And again, thank you so much. This conversation brought me so much joy today. Awesome. I'm so glad I was here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have met your audience too. And um, congratulations for everything that you have built her. And if you're listening, please continue to subscribe to uh, Tina's podcast to listen in because all of your content is just really, really powerful. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited that I am just a, a part of the puzzle of your podcast list of all the amazing speakers that you already had. You're very, very kind. I'll, I'll make sure to include all of your links as well. And please check those out. Please check out Honey's YouTube channel and uh, her website is amazing and full of tools as well. But I'm sure we'll bring her back sometime soon. So best of luck to all of you. Thank you.